Welcome back, podcast listeners, to Hereford Cathedral School's podcast, HCS, Helping Children Succeed, in which we talk about educational themes which help children and young people to thrive in a rapidly changing world. Perhaps this is the first time that you've listened to our podcast series. Our other episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on our website, herefordcs.com. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Professor Carl Gombrich today, who is Academic Lead and Director of Teaching and Learning at the London Interdisciplinary School. Professor Carl Gombrich was a Professorial Teaching Fellow of Interdisciplinary Education at UCL and is a Principal Fellow of the Higher Education Academy. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you on the show. Pleasure. Thank you for asking me. You're currently the academic lead and the head of teaching and learning at the London Interdisciplinary School. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing there and about the London Interdisciplinary School itself. Yeah, thank you. So um, I'm the sort of the principal academic here. So heading up all aspects of the curriculum design, the teaching, the learning, the assessment and so on. Um, I, I Before this, I set up the Bachelor of Arts and Sciences at UCL, the first BASC, Bachelor of Arts and Sciences in the country, which is a, a very interdisciplinary uh, degree, as kind of you might guess from the from the title. Um, and that was a great job, a wonderful job for me and kind of made my career. But it was established. It kind of had nine years or so there, eight and a half years. And I was looking for a, a new challenge. So when the joint co-founders of the London Interdisciplinary School approached me and said, we have this idea for a new university. And, and would you like to come on board very early? This was three or so years ago now. Um, I said, yeah, that sounds that sounds really interesting, like a, a, a challenge I couldn't I couldn't resist because I got completely gripped by this idea of a more interdisciplinary uh, higher education um, during during my time at UCL. And so I joined about two and a half, nearly three years ago now to um, head up all the aspects that I mentioned. And yeah, we have our first cohort of students now, 65 students, a wonderful group, pioneering, very brave, radical and interesting cohort. And we're delivering this very radical, very different uh, kind of curriculum for the uh, different compared to anything else in the UK. So that's that's where we are at the moment and happy to give more details on it. Thank you. That sounds so exciting. And why do you think it is so different? What is it that makes it different? And I suspect it's principally the interdisciplinarity of it. And relatedly then, so why is interdisciplinarity so important in, in modern life and in the current context? Yeah, so um, the, what's really different about LIS is it's what's called a problem-based curriculum, but, but entirely so. So we, um, well, entirely at its core, it is that. So we tackle big problems each term. So we've just finished a term working on inequality, and now we're looking at sustainability this term. Uh, and next term, first term, next year, we're looking at artificial intelligence and ethics and so on. So we don't teach uh, academic subjects in their silos, in individual um, little boxes, because we see the world as increasingly interconnected. I mean, very obviously so. I feel almost I don't have to keep making this point in many context but some in education one does have to keep making the point that you know uh, if you look at anything out there in the real world today whether it's climate change or migration or uh, problems to do with ethics and, and genetics whatever it might be 
it requires a range of subjects connected together in order to really understand that problem. And basically, all we're trying to do is reflect that in our in our academic curriculum. So if we're looking at inequality, we might look at it from perspectives of um, philosophy, but also neuroscience, economics, um, network science is very interesting in, in uh, inequality due to the uh, effect that different perceptions you get on the, on a problem due to the, your place in the network, and so on and so on. So that makes us very, very different to normal universities where you go to study one subject for three years. Uh, we also have um, around the problems core, we teach our students a wide range of methods. These can be from kind of statistical or more normal mathematical coding methods, right through to visual methods, visual literacy, methods associated with writing and arguing and so on. So we teach a very broad suite of things there, which again, if you were just doing one subject at uni, you wouldn't get that range of methods. And we start out, particularly in the first year, trying to be almost as broad as possible. So right from arts methods through to hard science methods to give students the full array of possibilities. And that really does open many students' eyes to things they would never have considered uh, as a real tool, if you like, to analyze and work with the world and on these real problems. And then in years two and three, they can specialize a little bit more in the methods they want to take further. So if they become more interested in, in visual methods, in things like design or communication through visuals, they can do more of that. If they become more interested in statistics and analytical methods, uh, they can do that and so on. But the breadth of the methodology we teach is, again, to answer your question, um, very, well, it's unique in the UK, very unusual. Um, and that's something else we do that's, that's special to us. It sounds so exciting. And I think as the world's become a more complicated place and a more complex place, that need for interdisciplinarity has probably only increased. Do you think that's fair to say? And therefore, something that employers are going to want more and more. And perhaps they want employees who have that breadth of who are able to make connections between issues because the problems that employees are going to need to solve on behalf of their employers are by nature not going to be restricted to specific subjects or specific dis disciplines. Do you think that's a, a, a fair observation? Yes, I think that's absolutely right, Michael. I mean, the, the thing about the real world is it has problems. And as someone once wittily said about universities, they have departments um, <laughs> as opposed to And every problem in the real world doesn't I mean, there's no problem in most people's working lives that corresponds very well to an academic subject, unless you are an academic. And basically, the whole sector hasn't really moved with the times since when about seven or eight people went to seven or eight percent of people went to the university in the, in the sort of uh, early 70s, through to as we know, getting on to 50 percent now. And so we have this very poor map between what you learn at university and what the world actually requires. And this is borne out in some very good statistics and research done by, for example, the Institute of Student Employers um, couple, just a couple of years ago now, I think 2019. That's the major body that asks the graduate recruiters, all the people who will be employing graduates, what they look for in their graduate recruits. And that survey, I think it was 190 people there, 190 employers, a very wide pool of, of employers that most of the grads will be going to work for, said they don't care what academic subject the students study at the university. Those are the words, I'm quoting, don't care, which is quite strong language, mm. um, which shows that, you know, the connection between an academic subject and a job in, a, in the graduate job market is, is pretty much completely broken. Sorry, I don't think I mentioned the statistics. 87%, 87% of graduate employers who are asked about what subject students should study at university, 87% of them said they don't care. 
So if you're a young person thinking of university, it literally doesn't matter in a sense what you study. But to flip that around a bit more positively, you should think, well, why am I restricting myself to just one traditional academic subject? The employers don't care. So why don't I do a more interesting combination of subjects? Why don't I take a more interdisciplinary or liberal degree? Because then I can study what I'm interested in. And actually, my employers, employers will be more interested that I have this range of skills and understanding rather than just a, a narrow uh, perception as seen through one subject, which, to quote again, the, the employers don't actually care about. Yeah, so I was going to ask then, in terms of advice and guidance for young people who are thinking about university, it sounds like you're suggesting they take an approach whereby they can look at a wider range of subjects. And to what extent, therefore, do you think other universities are beginning to follow that trend? Obviously, LIS is a paradigm shift. To what extent do you think other universities, other institutions will follow and become a little less specific in the, in the offerings that they provide and maybe a little bit more closely aligned with maybe the more kind of liberal arts type approach that you often find in U.S. universities? Well, I wish more would do it. I'm afraid I think we're really stuck in, in many ways in the system. Um, the, the, the school system is very stuck. Um, parents are very stuck. I think... Um, a lot of students are very stuck because their schools are stuck and their parents are stuck. And we are moving into a completely new era in history with this hyper-connectivity. Um, the internet doesn't see any academic subjects. As you've said already, the whole world is becoming so much more connected that you have to go from being you know, a data person one day to a politics person the next day to economics, to ethics. You just have to have those skills to operate in, in, in the wider world. And yet we don't really know how to think about education in this way we just haven't really got there yet so actually I don't I think many students are being very poorly served by their education but haven't quite understood some of the things we, we've discussed already here and why they should make a break um, and I think the, the students that do go on these more liberal interdisciplinary programs love it and tend to be very successful but it's it's not an easy nut to crack you're talking about decades if not centuries of tradition of education moving alongside a world which is changing very, very fast. And those that kind of tension between a very established old-fashioned structure and modern changes in the world is, is something one can look at in many places in history. And it is a tension, but it doesn't break easily. And it doesn't often break until new structures are there, which allow young people to sort of un understand what's going on and help them move into, into a new space, into a new way of thinking, a new way of, of learning. And one thing we actually like to talk about here is, is the curriculum as a network. So the students are encouraged to um, connect together their own knowledge in, in meaningful ways, interdisciplinary ways. But that network, as with any network you think of, can be completely unique. It can have its own profile, its own structure, its own connections. And that's quite hard for young people to believe is, is valuable. Naturally, when you're young, you want to believe that the authorities know what they're doing, what has been done for tens of hundreds of years has to be the right thing. And to actually say to them, nah, you're not going to be the most interesting graduate if you've just done the same thing as your parents were doing 20, 30, 40 years ago now. You'll be more interesting if you confront them and say, yeah, I can do some coding, but I can do some coding because I've done it for this games design. And part of my games design, I also learned about narrative from English literature, and I learned about psychology from studying psychology to so understand how humans relate to games psychologically. That is a much more interesting collection of disciplines connected together with a real aim in mind than just doing one of those individual disciplines. But it's hard to, it's challenging to sell that to young people 
when you know they are as kind of new in this whole space as everyone is. So I think it's, I mean, the BASC at UCL is a tremendous success. Recruitment there is extremely strong. There's been a big proliferation of liberal arts degrees in the country over the last 10 years. But I think we're still quite a long way from school teachers, career advisors, parents, understanding the value of this sort of education for for young people and therefore young people kind of jumping at it. There's some really fascinating observations there, I think, not least of all around the importance of connections between ideas and concepts, which seems to be in contrast to the fact that so much is driven within education by public examination frameworks, and these really limit interdisciplinarity. And the educational agenda is determined by various organisations, it seems, ranging from, say, regulatory bodies to examination boards in terms of subject disciplines, And I suppose there's a question about the extent to which schools need to be driving this from below and the extent to which, especially perhaps in the independent school sector, where there's maybe a little more curricular autonomy, opportunities to explore that interdisciplinarity, either in a formal context or even an informal context in, say, the the super curriculum, that work that takes place outside of the formal exam structure, And certainly here at Hereford Cathedral School, it's something we're looking at as we try to make connections between subjects. But also from the framework we're putting in place, the Hereford Cathedral School Diploma is something we're introducing in the sixth form, which will be much more interdisciplinary in its nature. We'll try and draw connections between different themes and that side of the traditional exam framework alongside the A-levels that pupils do. No, that's great, Michael. And uh, as you probably know, I mean, it's it's a real buzz for students when they feel these connections because they they sort of more than they're more than double the connecting two subjects, if you like. There's that feeling of coherence and things in the world hanging together and and having greater insight to something, which is one of the great great joys of of learning. Um, so yeah, that sounds great. And good luck. You know, it's very exciting. I think the IB does a good job on this as well in in many ways. Unfortunately, it's hard to roll it out nationally without quite a lot of um, support. And I completely agree with you about the examination system. I hear from students that, you know, they were so obsessed with exams at school that they just had no headspace to go outside the curriculum and and, and read for pleasure or, or, or learn for pleasure. And that, that seems just awful to me. And, of course, so at odds with the modern world as well. I mean, my children spend a lot of time watching what I would regard as perfectly acceptable educational content on on the internet it's about politics or travel or economics or of course arts and so on and and um it's not not exam uh, obsessed i don't know what to do about this though i mean you probably have a much better idea than i do how we row back from this extraordinary kind of vice we're in with regard to you know the type of assessment we're setting at the moment and the kind of way it's become so algorithmatized this kind of you know mm-hmm. bullet points on this five minutes on that six uh you know things you must mention about the other i mean it it's it's not surprising that i think a lot of students don't remember much of this stuff because it's not connected it's just sort of arbitrary lists they have to remember and regurgitate in some way I think that's absolutely true. There's so much rote learning that goes on as a consequence of the exam-based system that pupils understand that often in order to get the top grades, they need to memorise certain facts or regurgitate certain things in examinations. And yet, 
they don't remember this information. They're not making connections. They're not able to see the relevance of it in contemporary society. But also, if I may, just go back to the point you made between the pace of change happening in the world and, by contrast, the slow pace of change happening in the assessment systems in our schools and so forth. And presumably that gap is a gulf that's only going to increase over time because the world is changing at such a fast pace and businesses and employers are trying to address that in real time in the way that some educational institutions aren't. I absolutely agree. Uh, I mean, this is where we can sound a bit like kind of neoliberal business types, but in, 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 in business and out there, you, you can't afford to, to sort of have legacy ideas because you won't survive. You just won't have a business. Whereas somehow the education system has its own momentum, its own rationale, its own funding, and therefore it can survive with lots of legacy ideas. But, and, you know, people like me have been saying it's going to break for at least 10 years when the so-called MOOCs came along, the massive open online courses. Um, we thought universities would change enormously. I think they've barely changed at all. I mean, COVID has actually changed quite a lot with regard to online learning and what's called flipped learning and so on, which we thought would happen maybe 10 years ago. Now perhaps is happening a bit more. But perhaps we also overlooked that human beings don't change very quickly. So that's another tension, if you like, institutions, human beings, and then the pace of change. So uh, you know, what, what I call wetware, that's us, we still have certain needs with regards to learning, which are a mixture of sort of carrot and stick. We need uh, inspiration, we need people to engage us, but we also need, frankly, some deadlines, you know, some obligations. And these are not sexy, if you don't mind my using words on your podcast, not sexy things to talk about. But in some ways, I think we need those more than we thought. And universities and education institutions are good at those. Uh, they're hard to sell because people don't want to sign up on the whole for a lot of stick. They think they it's not something to invest in. But actually, I mean, the internet has every carrot you want. You, you can learn whatever you like on the internet up to sort of post-grad level, pretty much. And that's more than enough for 98% of the population. But it's all carrot. There's not a lot of stick. You've got to want to do it. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to spend 20 minutes finding the right courses, maybe pay a small sum as well, but nothing really, I mean, a tiny fraction of school fees or university fees. So it's actually the kind of community pressure, the peer pressure of having to learn and produce, which seems to be, to me, where the kind of real value of, of uh, sort of enlisting yourself, really, in an educational uh, system is. But that's not why you and I are in education, I guess. Either we're in education to inspire and to provide what we think is a, is, a, is a vision of the sort of things that should be learned and how to learn them. So is it, there's an interesting tension there. I mean, I wonder, you know, if the best young people now would even bother going to university or even to school if you let them, because they can learn what they need to um, online if, they, if they're motivated enough. Yes, that's a really interesting concept, isn't it? In the modern world with smartphone devices in our pockets, all of us have access to such a wealth of information. Almost the entire sum of human knowledge is available at the click of the fingertips online. I suppose there are those aspects of learning which go far beyond simply the acquisition of knowledge, in particular, say, the certain skills, the social literacies, the interactions, the development of character and ethics, and in helping people to make those connections. You're listening to Hereford Cathedral School's podcast, HCS, Helping Children Succeed. But I wonder, 
if perhaps we could just also jump onto the theme of the future of work. So we've talked a little bit about the future of educational institutions, the future of universities, but what would you say, Carl, is the future of work? I know that's a theme that you've been exploring for a number of years, isn't it? Yeah, so one of the things is, is that you've, you've mentioned that people uh, are seek, employers are seeking out people who can make uh, interesting connections across things. I think there's two reasons for that. One is sense-making or storytelling. These are both phrases relatively recent, I'd say, in vocabulary as kind of big items uh, are a big thing in business. And that, again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the rate of pace of change of the world. Someone who's able to have a strong narrative for whatever the business is doing, right at the top level, vision of the business itself, or, of course, right down to kind of sales to tell the story to people, um, is valued. Uh, and that storytelling, also called sense-making, I would say, in some in some context, is is strongly connected to connection-making. So, and it does actually tie in with the last paragraphs that we were talking about with education. I completely agree with you about providing the frames and the scaffolds for the students to then make their own connections. But that's still a big shift from what most students want and, and believe they should get, which is content. We need to completely divest ourselves really of, the, of, of that and give students the tools to get and understand when they're looking at worthwhile content and then learn it. And then, back to what we're talking about now, make the connections. So that, that storytelling, that sense of narrative, sense-making what is going on, is greatly enhanced by an interdisciplinary education and will only be of more value in, in the future if, as, as we've said already, things are going to keep changing at a, at, a, at a faster or perhaps faster rate. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is that what many people talk about is the sort of more practical side of, of having many careers. You know, so many people now will have anything between three and, and seven careers in a lifetime. And so the confidence to jump around and retrain and some ability to some sort of seeds of knowledge in, in multiple areas will, will help you at various points. You don't have to do it that way. You can just do sort of one, one degree and, and, and then something completely different five years later. But if you have this interdisciplinary kind of platform, and I see this now in many of the graduates from UCL, hundreds of those now out there working, they're pretty relaxed about, you know, spending five years in tech, then maybe five years in something to do with health and going to politics. Uh, and because they have enough of a training, really, and an understanding of, of multiple areas where that's an easy thing to do. So, um, yeah, the, flex the just basically the sort of flexibility of the modern world, particularly grad the graduate world, means that um, you should expect, I think, and, and actually relish the opportunity to have many different careers in your life. I mean, any young person or their parents sort of fretting over, you know, getting a job in the right things, I, I just don't understand it. There's no worry about a graduate getting a job. There hasn't been for 10 years. 15 years, you know, there's no serious graduate unemployment, unless you take a kind of crazy degree and don't want to do anything that other people want you to do. I'm not saying that you can't opt out of the system. Of course you can. But if, you, if you're just willing to sort of get your head down and do something interesting, there's going to be a good job for you out there. And then be prepared to jump out and do something else if you're not enjoying it, because there's just so much opportunity for graduates. I'm sure that's really encouraging to hear for all of our podcast listeners and not least of all around having that interdisciplinary foundation, which gives you the confidence to move into different sectors, into different lines of inquiry, different jobs. 
And also, one thing we haven't really touched upon is the benefit that education provides in terms of the experience. And Carl, if I may, the fact that prior to your current line of work, you were previously a professional opera singer, I believe. So I suppose that's quite a big shift from what you're doing now, but also draws upon the breadth of experience, the importance of the arts, preparing young people for future life as well. Yes, I, uh, I mean, I don't know if you caught the Reef lectures, the famous BBC lectures, or whether you, I know your listeners did, but it was from a very brilliant artificial intelligence uh, computer scientist um, this year. And it was very striking, actually, moving that he thought the most important people now for helping us understand this new world were, were the artists. So this is a guy who really understands where artificial intelligence is taking us in terms of defence, security, privacy, law, medicine, everything. And he said, you know, it's running away kind of with us and from us and we lack the artists the writers the musicians the poets the storytellers indeed that just mentioned to help us understand where we're going with this with this new world um so for me there's no question that if you're good at that stuff um you will be valued and you'll have a you'll have a place in whatever's uh, whatever's happening in this changing world, I mean, one thing, of course, people say is that you know that the amount of manual work is just going to continually reduce. That does seem likely. So more and more of this sort of what's called knowledge work is going to be uh, valued, and more of that is going to be quite creative work, things that computers can't do. And so the more you have some kind of feel for and understanding of the arts and humanities, the more you can bring that to the workplace, and I think that that will be valued. I think that's absolutely true. And that's some really sage and wise advice. And so the final question is, what would be your key advice to our listeners on how children can succeed in a rapidly changing world? I I really think all young people should take a mixture of arts and sciences at A level if possible. There is simply no job in the world now which is untouched by science. And our education system of just three A-levels is terribly, terribly detrimental to having people in positions, say, in politics or journalism or even in law who don't understand any sciences. For me, it's a, it's a sort of global scandal that British kids can graduate from school with, say, history, English and French and nothing in the sciences or maths or computer science. Be brave. Take on a challenge. This is, goes back to the grades problem, of course. Of course, if you have to get three A's to get anywhere where you think you have to get, then you probably only take the things you're good at. But that's not going to serve you well in the longer run to really understand what's going on. But also on the other side, all the scientists must educate themselves in humanistic uh, and things to do with um, human culture, whether that's in the arts or in writing or history or something to do with the world outside science. Because scientists who don't understand the kind of implications of their work or the purpose of it are are sometimes worse than useless. They can be dangerous and and not be really adding value to society. So I wish we had a system whereby, as almost the entire world does, by the way, this is an example of poor British exceptionalism. I believe only Mauritius, possibly, has as narrow a narrow (laughs) post-16 education as the UK. And there's, it's totally antiquated. It came from the, I don't even remember now, maybe the 50s or even earlier, uh, when a tiny, tiny fraction of the population went to university, as we've mentioned already, to study a specific subject because they were going to be either academics or work in very specific areas. Um, and it just doesn't serve young people well. Young people should be encouraged to go outside their comfort zones 
and in that particular way be brave take on something which you don't think you're good at but you realize it's extremely important uh, and will be for your future so that that that's kind of it's a bit of a tough message if you like with a tough love but i think if there's any way you can find a way to be brave and learn things you think are important not just what you're good at not just that will give you exam results take on that challenge because it's that sort of challenge again back to kind of the future of work and who's going to be valued it's people who are able to learn really quickly and take on challenges that's the sort of thing employers want to see rather than necessarily certain types of credentials thank you so much that is really sound advice and one of the purposes of this podcast is to help young people to be real world ready and to be mindful of the fact that this is a changing world and you've articulated that with such a great deal of clarity so a huge thank you to you carl for joining us on the show today it's been great to have you and we will certainly encourage all of our listeners to check out the london interdisciplinary school to reflect upon the points that you've made around the importance of interdisciplinarity and understanding the connections between disciplines in order for all of us to be real world ready. So thank you so much, Carl, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you, Michael. And yes, please do send your, your brave and interested learners to London Interdisciplinary School. They'd have a fantastic experience, I think. Thank you. Take care. This podcast... Helping Children Succeed is brought to you by Hereford Cathedral School. For more details, please visit our website, herefordcs.com.